Well, today we're going to be looking at what the Bible has to say uh, about grumbling, discontentment, and bitterness. And I'll be honest, when I got allocated this topic, uh, I laughed. That was my first response. In fact, when I told Naomi I was doing this, uh, she laughed too. And if you've been in my gospel team or maybe in a 40-day challenge group with me, you're probably laughing too. Because if this talk was on how to be bitter or how to grumble, I would have been the perfect choice. Twelve months ago, I was a chronic grumbler. Because grumbling is everywhere in our society. Read any opinion piece in the paper, it'll be full of bitterness and complaining and grumbling. We literally have radio segments almost every day dedicated to people airing their grievances. And complaining about your job, I don't know about you, but when I worked at Centrelink, complaining about your job was one of the great Australian pastimes. And we even see it in the church, don't we? People will regularly say things like, the sermons are too long. We sit and stand too much. The student minister is from Newcastle. But in all seriousness, like so many sins, discontentment has crept into our lives and into the church. And so like all sin, even when the world thinks it's completely fine, we need to dig it out. We need to get rid of it. And so let's stop listening to me and let's see what the Bible has to say. And as you see in your outline, uh, I've left some blanks so you can fill it in, a bit of interactiveness with the outline, always a good time. You'll see that it says three things. Firstly, that bitterness and grumbling is attitude. Secondly, that bitterness and grumbling is communal. And thirdly, that bitterness and grumbling is sin. And so let's start with the first one, that bitterness and grumbling is attitude. And that's because at its core... Grumbling is a sin of the heart and the mind toward God about other people or our circumstances which doesn't consider the goodness, wisdom and power of God. I'll say that again. Grumbling is a sin of the heart and the mind toward God about other people or our circumstances which doesn't consider the goodness, wisdom and power of God. And we see this all the way through the Old Testament, don't we? Take a look at Exodus 17. It should come up on the screen. This is what it says in Exodus 17. Israel camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me? Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Right here in this story, we have the ultimate insight into our own heart of bitterness. See, in this story, Israel has been set free from slavery. In Egypt, they were slaves. And despite being saved by God, they still complain. They still grumble. They don't pray. They don't ask. They grumble. 
This is the God who split the Red Sea. If there's anyone who could have provided water, who has control over water, it's God. And still the first thing that they do is complain. They forget that God's even part of the picture and they start complaining to Moses. And what makes this even worse is that this has happened before. It happened two chapters earlier in Exodus 15 and it happens again in Exodus 16. Separate story, it should come up on the screen. Exodus 16. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. See, here it's even worse because they acknowledge that God is the one who has power, yet they still complain against him. Do you see what's going on here? Their hearts and minds are far from God. This isn't a material issue. It's not about food and water. It's their hearts and minds that bring them to grumble. They've rejected God. They've forgotten his goodness and sovereignty, and now they're grumbling to each other. And we see it all the time, don't we? On the radio, online, in conversations with friends and family, But more importantly, we see it in ourselves. We are so quick to judge Israel here, aren't we? But we do almost exactly the same thing. Even though we are so blessed by God in Jesus, we obsess and fester over things not going our way. Missed job opportunities, rising interest rates. We grumble because we forget God's power despite having every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms through Jesus, when things at work and church stay the same despite our suggestions, we get bitter because we forget God's wisdom and goodness. See, bitterness is when our hearts and minds don't consider God's goodness, wisdom and sovereignty. And so when we become bitter and start to grumble, I want to make a suggestion that we take a second to be real. Be real. Adjust your minds to true reality where God is good and wise. Because that is reality. When we start to grumble, we need to check if our hearts and minds reflect the wisdom of our sovereign, powerful God. Do we believe that God is good? That he has a wise plan for our lives? Because that is the reality. Our heart and hearts are deceitful. They blind us to the truth that God is the good, wise, loving and powerful Father. And when we see this, we become truly thankful I don't know if you've realised this, but in society, people have this idea that we should be thankful for things. But who to? Who are we meant to be thankful to? 
Well, in response to bitterness, we're to be thankful to our good, wise, loving, powerful God. And we know this about God, don't we? We know that this is who he is. Take a look at Matthew 7, verse 11. It should come up on the screen. And notice how it compares people with God. What man among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God is wise. He's good. He's a powerful Father. He gives even better gifts than any earthly father ever could. But when we grumble... Our grumbling is a denial of this reality. So when you find yourself tempted to grumble, be real and be thankful. But one of the things the Bible also shows us is that in our grumbling, we're not alone. And that brings us to our second point, that bitterness and grumbling is communal. I don't know if you noticed this as uh, we were reading through those Exodus passages before, but they all grumbled together. And you see this idea as well when you get to the New Testament. A bunch of passages are going to come up on the screen. And as they do, notice that it talks about people in groups. When it's, and there'll be a couple of times where it says you. In those you sections, it means all of you. So take a look at Romans 3.14. should come up on the screen. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. Ephesians 4. All bitterness, anger and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you. And Hebrews 12, verse 15. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble, and by it, defiling many. Now let's take a bit of a longer look at this Hebrews verse. Did you notice that it talks about a root of bitterness? Because bitterness is like a weed. Now, (laughs) Gnomes and I, we are terrible gardeners. Don't trust us with any grass or flowers that you have. Um, And we used to live in this house where one of the conditions was that we would garden, that we'd get rid of the weeds. And every once in a while, we'd see these little weeds spring up all over the place, just little leaves coming through. And we were lazy, and so we would just leave them there. But then they were everywhere. This isn't actually our garden. Gnomes made sure I I told you that. But they ruined the whole garden. These weeds, they just made everything go wrong. And this is what Hebrews says bitterness is. It's a root that grows. It's not the flower or the fruit, the end product or result of something else. No, it's deep down in the dirt. And just think of the damage done to solid concrete by weeds that have gone unchecked. It's not just that it corrupts our own hearts and minds. No, it spreads and defiles many It even has 
the potential to undo the purifying work that Christ has done. That word defiling in Hebrews is the opposite to the purifying work that Jesus has done in the hearts of his followers. Do you see how serious this sin is? Not only does grumbling and discontentment put us in a danger to ourselves, but it threatens the purity and the unity of the church. Now, thankfully, I've never seen grumbling tear apart a church that I've been a part of. But I wouldn't be surprised if some people in this room have actually seen that happen. Bitterness spreads its roots and springs up all over the place. The church splits and people walk away from Jesus. We just can't let this happen. Grumbling is so contagious and so dangerous. And so like any weed, we need to pull it out at the source. And the fact that bitterness and grumbling are communal really helps us here. I think it means that we need to lovingly rebuke each other when we notice potential bitterness. And I say lovingly because usually our response to grumbling is actually more grumbling. And Jesus says we need to pull the log out of our own eye before we pull out the speck of others. And I'll admit, rebuking people, it's awkward. It's tough. But my goodness, isn't it tough work worth doing? And I'll say, a rebuke from a friend was the catalyst for my change of heart. All he said was, Marcus, jeez, you grumble so much. And that was the start of a journey towards thankfulness. Wouldn't it be great if here at Bexley North it was a place where there was no grumbling because we were all willing to have a tough conversation every once in a while? Now, I use the word rebuke because the Bible says that bitterness and grumbling are sin. Which brings us to the third point on the outline about bitterness and grumbling, that they're sin. And obviously, this is the case. You know, I can hear in your minds, you're all saying, Marcus, we know this is a sin. This is part of the sin series. Of course, we're talking about it as if it's a sin. But I make this point because of the warning of Psalm 95, which Jenny read for us earlier. And from verse 8, it reflects on God's response to Israel's grumbling that we saw in Exodus earlier. And so take a look at what happens in verse 8. It says this, Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation. I said, They are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, They will not enter my rest. See, even though they had seen God's salvation walking through the Red Sea, they hardened their hearts towards God and they grumbled. And so what does God say to them? They will not enter my rest. Now the best commentary I could find on this passage is actually in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews. And take a look at what it says about Psalm 95 for us today. Uh, Yes, great. 
Again, in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, again, he specifies a certain day. Today. Speaking through David after such a long time, as previously stated, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This isn't just an Old Testament promise. Psalm 95 is a message for us today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts towards God. Don't go on grumbling. Because if you do, you will be cut off from God's rest. This is serious. Our hardened hearts will get us cut off from God. And so where have we been? Well, the Bible's shown us that grumbling, discontentment, bitterness, they're all attitude. It's when our hearts and minds reject God and forget his goodness and wisdom. And we've seen that bitterness and grumbling is communal. While it's our own attitude, it springs up and defiles many. And finally, the Bible's shown us that bitterness, grumbling, discontentment, they're sin. If we keep on grumbling, we'll be cut off from God. It's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? God's word looks at this sin that we're willing to respect by just ignoring it, and it says, no way, get it out of here. And I've already suggested a couple of things that we might do to help remedy this, but at the end of the day, we need something much deeper than a few potentially awkward conversations or some reminders to be real. Because this sin is deep in our hearts. What we need is a way out. Which brings us to the last point on the outline. And to see this way out, we need to look at Luke 23, which Jenny read for us before. If you haven't got it open, get it open now. Uh, Page 973 of the Bibles. You're definitely going to want this one open. It won't be up on the screen. And I don't know if you noticed that when, when the Bible was read earlier, but nowhere in this passage will you find the word grumbling, and nowhere in this passage will you find the word discontentment, and nowhere will you find the word bitterness. And that's exactly the point. Look at all the things that happened to Jesus on the day of his death. So, verse 33, take a look at verse 33. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. With nails through his hands, they hang Jesus on a wooden cross. And then verse 35, jump down to 35, the people stood watching and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. People insult and scoff him at the most painful moment of his life. Verse 36. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine. And verse 39. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. The insults are just piled and piled and piled on. And earlier in Luke, 
And I think in verse 41 as well, we see that Jesus was innocent. He'd done nothing wrong. It was an unjust sentence. And so surely, surely if anyone had the right to grumble, it's got to be Jesus, right? Right? And yet, he went through it all without grumbling so that we could have our hearts softened towards God and be truly thankful. So that if we trust Jesus, we wouldn't be bound by bitterness. No, but that we would be forgiven and give true thanks to God. New lives, free from the bitterness of sin. See, without Christ's death, we cannot change the grumbling in our hearts. It's impossible, impossible without him. And so if you're looking for the key to defeating bitterness and being truly thankful, come to Christ's death on the cross. Only he can conquer our sin and soften our grumbling, discontent hearts. Trust in Christ. We need him in this battle against grumbling. Don't harden your hearts as they did in the wilderness. Trust Jesus and have your heart softened by him. And when you do, take on his attitude. Because Jesus knew how to be real. He knew the goodness and wisdom and power of God. Take a look at Hebrews 12 up on the screen. It says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. When you read that, don't you see bitterness? It's, it's just so easily ensnaring. The writer of Hebrews says, lay it off. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that lay before him, the joy that lay before him, endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. See, Jesus, knowing the goodness and wisdom of the Godhead, saw the glory to come and went through the pain of the cross. As followers of Jesus purchased with his blood on the cross, we know this goodness and wisdom of God, don't we? It allows us to be truly thankful. And we know the hope of future glory, eternal life, surrounding the throne, singing praises and thanksgiving to God. So come back to Jesus' cross and let it remind you of the Saviour who didn't grumble and won glory for us, the glory that we look forward to. And why don't we ask the Spirit to help us in that because we need it so much, don't we? Let's pray. Our Father, we are so sorry that we have rejected you, that we've hardened our hearts towards you, that we've grumbled despite your goodness and wisdom and power. Lord, change our hearts through Jesus. As we come to the cross, we pray that you would forgive us for the times which we have grumbled, where we have rejected you, and we pray that the mindset of Christ Jesus seeing the future glory that he has won for us. Lord, we pray that that would soften our hearts 
and make us more thankful to you. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.